0: All hail <laughs> Welcome again everybody to the Tag Your It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I'm Dave. And we are at it yet again of uh, two of uh, three shows now that we're recording uh, live and that we'll put out on the podcast. And this time uh, we have a special guest on the line and his uh, collar bubble's not popping up. But anyway, we've got Dr. Co- Coyle Neal. How you doing today, sir? I'm doing right. How are you guys? Oh, Man. we're good, especially now that we've got audio working, That's right. The audio, video.
1: Are... We're talking to you. All those things are good. All good things. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We... Did bring on Dr. Elizabeth Dudash before to talk about critical race theory. Of course, we saw that she does approach it from a different worldview than we do, and she also comes from a different background than you do academically. So before we jump right into critical race theory, if you don't mind just sharing a little bit about your background and how you've interacted with critical race theory uh, and your kind of your education on it, if that's okay.
2: Oh, gosh. So this is this is the you sent me this question and this is the one I didn't prepare for. Oh, (laughs) uh, yeah. I just kind of skimmed over that one. Uh, Let me see. My my background uh, uh, in terms of critical race theory. So I first encountered it in grad school uh, out at Catholic University in D.C. uh, and specifically in my constitutional theory class. So uh, I'm basically uh, most of what I'm going to be saying today is going to come from the world of constitutional interpretation. Uh, but as, uh, as Dr. Dudash pointed out in one of your episodes, these are, these are not unrelated, right? Biblical interpretation uh, and constitutional interpretation kind of feed off of each other uh, mm-hmm. over the decades. Uh, and honestly, usually biblical interpretation comes first. Uh, so you have uh, higher criticism and then you have living constitutionalism. Uh, you have uh, uh, inerrancy and those sorts of arguments, and then you have originalism. Uh, and uh, with with critical race theory, it's it's a little more fluid and, and a little more sort of up in the air as to you know, whether uh, 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 you know, James Cone is uh, is prior to uh, some of the uh, uh, some of the, the constitutional theory writers. So we can give names if you want to. But again, that's that's sort of out of the wheelhouse of what you guys do. Um Anything else you need to know about me? I teach, I currently teach government over at uh, Southwest Baptist University uh, in uh, in Bolivar. Uh, I live here with my, my wife and kids. And is there, is there anything else you need?
1: And uh, no, that's, you yeah. attend Southern Hills, right?
0: I attend Southern Hills. With, uh, you, so you're at Southern Hills with my buddy, Dave Adams, right? i i love dave adams oh you keep that guy in line he keeps me in line at the barbershop so
2: <laughs> yeah, i saying it's, it's probably the other way around but
0: uh. <laughs> well that's awesome it's a it's an awesome uh, small world in missouri baptist life and uh so we, we we just we're thankful for you for coming on the show being somebody that's involved um you know in your church um but also um someone that's aware and uh is taking care of the universal idea of the church um being at sbu and um you know we just hope to learn a lot more from you about um, critical race theory. Cause yeah, like we said, we had Dr. Dudash on. And uh, so that comes from sort of a perspective, you know, she's at MSU uh, you know, liberal university um, you know, we, we, Had to deal with like you know listening to what she believed uh, about Christianity, um, coming from a a Catholic background, her understanding of what that was, and how all that sort of interplayed in in her mind, and what that was, and so um, instead of really like. I guess progressing the conversation, I think what we need to do is we need to stay in foundation land. And so basically it's kind of like this episode starts the conversation over, um, from your perspective, from your studies, um, you know, your definitions and all those kind of things. Um, that's what we want to know. Um, so we can just keep in this, uh, foundational, uh, mindset to really just do our research and understand, um, What is critical race theory? What is critical theory? What's the history? What's all this stuff that goes into it? Because this is a multifaceted issue and we better go in with as many variables as possible before we have like major conversations, especially um, going in, like I said, on the last show, you know, this is an election year. Um, So that's, you know, we're seeing it played out in politics um you know and we're seeing it just played out in everyday language even though we might be unconscious of it um so we need to really get get a definitional get all these perspectives on it and do our research that's right and so um What's really yeah that's theory
1: and where did it come yeah from, dr neil
2: uh, yeah, so the the kind of short version of what is critical theory uh, it is a uh, it is a postmodern hermeneutic, right? I mean mm-hmm. that's uh, that's that's really if you you boil it down to its basic uh, components, that's what it is. Uh, and i'm I'm sure if I don't say this at, at any other point, I should sort of say it repeatedly. If you want to understand it, you should start with reading Nietzsche because everything postmodern comes from him. but okay. uh, uh, especially when you throw race and power in, I mean that that all that all sort of falls back on Nietzsche in, in some way, shape, or form. Okay. Uh, which is not to say that all critical re- theorists and critical race theorists are intentionally Nietzschean. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying that. Uh, uh, the the sort of longer version, uh, and again, I'm I'm speaking in the world of constitutional interpretation, uh, not in the world of, of biblical interpretation. So, uh, yeah. uh, not everything I say is necessarily going to translate one to one. But I think in in sort of broad strokes there. They're pretty similar. Um, uh, critical theory really uh, starts in the seventies. Uh, so, uh, if you think of the the kind of two main schools of constitutional interpretation, to keep it in my world for a minute, uh, originalism and living constitutionalism. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we we have the uh, original uh, originalism says we should uh, we should read the Constitution uh, and the subsequent amend- uh, amendments uh, as they would have been read by the the reasonable reader uh, in the time when they were passed. Okay, so Uh, this is uh,
0: this is where we would read the Bible in a grammatical historical method, right? So, kind of for those or or
2: historical redemptive, I'm I'm kind of more in that camp with with some respect for grammatical historical too. Uh, Yeah. yeah, So, uh, what what did Paul mean? Right? Is is sort of the question you're you're getting into. Mm -hmm. Um, So that that's kind of the originalism side of things. The uh, uh, living. Constitution side of things uh, says, what does the Constitution mean to the reasonable reader today? All right uh, how how do how do we interpret it uh, with less attention to uh, what would it have meant to uh, uh, to to the people who wrote it? Uh, and and obviously, all of us uh, again speaking to the Constitution, we're 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 going to be. Sort of a, a hodgepodge of those, depending on, on where we fall. Uh, so I, I tell my students, you know, we're, we're in some sense all living constitutionalists when you talk about cruel and unusual punishment. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, uh, that in the original sense would have meant, uh, no drawing and quartering, no burning at the stake and no beheading. But when it comes to public whippings or public hangings, that's not cruel and unusual. Fast forward 250 years and someone's like, Hey, we should, we should have someone publicly whipped. And I think all of us are going to sort of step back and say, Whoa, whoa, whoa wait a second. Uh, <laughs> uh, that, that sounds cruel and unusual to me. Let's, let's lock them away for 30 years instead. Uh, uh that's, that's a different conversation, but, uh, again, there we're, we're, we're all sort of a mix of these.
1: And that way it can be more uh, cruel and unusual to the taxpayers. <laughs> hey, you know, uh, there's uh,
2: there's 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 a lot of uh, discussion that, that should be had there. Um, so in the, in the 70s, uh, a field of studies develops called uh, critical legal studies. Uh, so again, this is this is this postmodern approach. Uh, it it looks at things like originalism and, and living constitutionalism, uh, and says you guys are. You guys are really being disingenuous. Uh, you you claim to be trying to properly interpret the Constitution and, and then uh, uh, apply that interpretation to the law justly, but in reality, uh, all you're really doing is using these terms and, and these ideas as smokescreens uh, to read your own will into the law. Uh, you're you're not really reading the Constitution. You you living constitutionalists and you originalists. Uh, you're you're really reading yourselves. Uh, so the uh, uh, the conservative uh, the original originalist who says the founders wanted every American to have a gun. And and here's a quote from Madison proving it. Uh, that, that, that individual probably wasn't reading Madison one day and came across this quote and said, well, I guess every American should have a gun, right? They, they probably already believe that, and then they found this quote in Madison and, and used that as a proof text. Uh, and in the same way, the the uh, living constitutionalist, the, the liberal who says that the, uh, the Constitution means that every American has a right to universal health care, uh, they would still believe that, even if you could somehow conclusively show that the Constitution says no such thing. Uh, really, what both of them are doing, according to the the, the critical theorist is is just pursuing power uh, and the the structure of our court system allows them to continue doing so and, and justice gets lost in the process uh, so critical race theory then comes along and, and looks at this this critical legal studies, this field of critical theory uh, and says yeah you've you've got something here uh you you just don't have quite enough uh the The system itself is flawed and is unjust." Uh, not only because judges and politicians are imposing their will on the nation in the name of justice, uh, but also because from the, from the present all the way back to the beginning of the system, uh, it's never truly been representative. We, we live in a system that was created and established and has been maintained by white dominance. Mm. Uh, and we, we need to start with that uh, as, our, as our beginning point uh, if we're going to really understand how to fix it so uh, uh, there, there's a, a deep-seated disillusionment with with the system right uh, uh, that uh, that uh, uh, in some ways that's the result of, of things that were going on in the, in the, the 70s uh, so the the system you know uh, in in quotes there uh, had been uh, had been very concerned with uh, with things like racial justice starting with Supreme Court cases like Brown versus Board of Education uh, in the 70s uh, the the courts uh, and, and Congress and our state institutions begin to move away from that and focus on other issues uh, which which means that there are there are serious problems that are left undealt with uh, so the system seems to be failing so the, the questions uh, start being raised about well if, it, if this isn't going to work uh what else should we do uh is this is this tracking hopefully i i feel like i'm kind of rambling no, right no everything
1: no, no. is no, good is, i'm following everything a, you're saying I yeah, think we're getting a lot of so information much more yeah. Uh, yeah. Pointed and clear than yeah. what we heard before the historical yeah. background is exceptionally important and this is exactly what we need please continue right on brother yeah. this is exactly what we need
0: and, and, and yeah we might of- have
1: to listen to this podcast a few more times and be like oh wow yeah hey, that's okay. I've listened to podcasts that I have that I really like more than once. Just like yeah. if you listen to a good sermon by a good pastor, you want to go back and listen to it again and again. That's just so, called research. Yeah. <laughs> so please continue. I think it's perfect. You're answering other questions kind of in this same idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah.
2: Right. Well, and and again, that's, that's really the, the big point, right? The, the, uh, the, the systems and processes we have uh, are, are even our texts themselves, you know, the constitution itself are, are all inherently broken,
1: Mm.
2: right? We, we live inside of a, a, uh, a culture uh, that was uh, shaped by, uh, uh, and has certain set patterns uh, that are built into our uh, subconscious that, that, uh, uh, that make us act in ways that are racist whether we intend to or not. Uh, uh, and in fact, most, most critical race scholars will, will even point out, we uh, often not only don't intend to be racist, we're actively trying to oppose racism, right? The, the number mm-hmm. of people who hang racial slurs on the front door of their bo- business in, in the 21st century is so small as to be functionally negligible, right? I mean, that, that basically doesn't happen. Uh, while the number of people who actively oppose that sort of thing is is, is huge, right? Uh, uh, that would be kind of instant death for for any business or church or whatever that would that would do that sort of blatant act of racism, uh, and yet uh, that that vast crowd of people that intentionally opposes racism uh, is still part of a system with racism built into it. So that the Jim Crow laws are gone, but the culture that creates them is is still solidly in place. Which then gets to one of the uh, the, the fundamental assumptions of of kind of all of these postmodern hermeneutics, but especially uh, critical race theory. Uh, the the law is built on culture. Uh, just, just changing the law to reflect our best intentions, not to be racist, uh, doesn't solve the the deeper cultural problems that, uh, that, that these sort of older and explicitly racist trends have reflected. Uh, instead we, we need an entirely different approach to law built on a different culture, uh, one that fully includes minorities, fully includes their cultures as well as the majority culture, Mm -hmm. uh, And and what applies to the law then applies to other aspects of our our lives as well. You know, are are the books that we're assigning in schools, are they really representative of of a broad spectrum of cultures that that includes other ethnicities? Uh, Are the commentaries we read to help us understand the Bible, are they written or influenced uh, solely by Americans, right? Or or at most uh, solely by Europeans living within 500 miles of Geneva. Mm-hmm. Uh, are the uh, are the movies we watch and expose our children to? Are they just reinforcements of the uh, uh, majority cultural assumptions and, and so on? I'm, I'm, I'm stealing this all the way at the, uh, so I, I don't get accusations of plagiarism. This is all from a, a book review I wrote a few years back. Um, so uh, uh, hopefully that's that's kind of a fair and charitable explanation of, of critical race theory. Uh, again, one skewed towards my own field because that's what I'm most familiar with. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think this is a question you're going to ask later. Uh, but I, I, I will say there's, there's a lot in it that's right. I mean, I who, who could ever reasonably deny that our Constitution was, was written by affluent white men, right? I mean that, that's, that is a, uh, uh, that is without doubt true. And to deny that is borderline insanity. Uh, and even to take a step, a step beyond and say, and that, that also has to matter. Uh, now, whether it matters in the way the critical race theory people want it to, or or whether the conclusions all necessarily follow, that's a different question. Uh, mm-hmm. But at least there are some uh, important things going on there. I, again, I feel like I'm rambling. So let me. Oh, let me yeah. Turn yeah. This back so, I mean, really, you're here.
0: saying, I mean, there's a lot of facts here um, that we have sure. to concede. Yes. Um, but I like what you said there. It doesn't, you know, just be, you're still, we're still like, but you're interpreting the, the interpretation of those facts you know, from a critical race theorist perspective um, might not be right. But like, so I can admit, yes, an affluent white guy went in and wrote the Constitution. um, But the interpretation of that, that it's flawed because of being an affluent white man, you know, like, is that the reason why it's flawed or there are other, there's, there are alternatives to reason why, you know, because, you know, I believe that the Constitution is flawed, but it's from a, covenantal biblical perspective why it's flawed because i know the philosophy that went into it that doesn't agree with you know if we're going to talk about original um sort of things here um it doesn't comport or agree with the scriptural like anthropology and stuff like that so you know i'd I'd have my reasons why that document might be flawed um versus say a critical race theorist so we're saying like here's some facts but even though that's a fact it's an interpretative effort um, based on your worldview, that's going to lead you to the conclusion: Hey, this is systematic racism, right? Okay. Right.
2: Which, uh, yeah, and, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe even more willing to say, look, yeah, this is, uh, this is a even even the uh, specific problems they see might be actual problems. Uh, it, it doesn't follow that they're over that their uh, their conclusions are right, and and I think there are some some problems with the methodology
1: there, but uh, again, we'll we'll come to that. Yeah. Uh, later in your questions so um this is kind of where we began to deal a little bit with resolution nine of the southern baptist convention which is what really the whole um huff up of this is mm-hmm. like you know i know dr neil uh uh i was able to study a little bit of critical theory from a rhetorical position, from, you know, um, the persuasion rhetorical uh, perspective when I was a graduate student at Missouri State. It was words that we used, a section that we studied, both in communication theory and in rhetorical theory, but as a pastor, it was not something that I really dealt with at all. And then Resolution 9 comes up, and I watched the debate live, and I was like, what in the world is going on? How did... When we think about Resolution Nine, how did critical race theory connect with intersectionality? Um, and where did intersectionality kind of come from? Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. Um, so I, I know, I know significantly less about intersectionality. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, from, from what I understand, uh, it, it comes from the world of feminism. Uh, so, so feminism is, uh, is, is also related to kind of postmodern hermeneutics. And again, on the constitutional interpretation side of things, uh, there are feminist schools that grow out of critical theory, uh, that, uh, they, they don't take off as well as the, the critical racial theory, uh, studies do, but, uh, they, they are there, um, so there, there is a family of interpretation of the Constitution that all kind of runs together, um, uh, but uh, intersectionality, to get to your specific question, from from what I understand, uh, uh, comes with the uh, comes from feminism with the goal uh, of uh, in broadening the scope of feminism to include uh, minorities. Uh, so specifically, to to have a feminism that does not speak only to white middle class women. Uh, so again, if you if you look at the, uh, the the movements within feminism, first wave feminism, second wave feminism, and, and even to some extent third wave feminism, uh, if you look at the, uh, the the people, the women who are driving those, uh, the women who are writing in those, uh, and the target audience of those, it, it's almost exclusively uh, middle class, upper middle class white women. So if you go back and read uh, the Feminine Mystique, uh, Betty, Betty Friedan's classic uh, work, uh, which which you know you should read, it's 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 worth picking up and, and paying attention to. There there are some arguments in there that really do need to be grappled with. Uh, you know the idea that the the 1950s suburban lifestyle shouldn't satisfy you. Uh, I think you know every every Christian should agree with that to some extent. Um, even if again we disagree with uh, the, the the therefore that follows in the book, mm-hmm. uh, there, there is something to be said for yeah you know you you should be dissatisfied if your purpose in living is uh, husband to wife two cars in the garage a guy goes to work every day and the, the wife takes care of the ki- takes care of the kids yeah uh, so uh again that's that's a very targeted book right uh, even even though she certainly would not have thought it that way thought of it that way when she wrote it uh but the the goal becomes uh, to expand this so the the idea behind intersectionality is uh, uh you, if you take someone uh say you have a bunch of people who are talking about whatever issue it is uh, the uh, uh, the the differences between them uh, are going to matter in the conversation, uh, and specifically, some of some of the individuals in the conversation uh, are going to be the going to have historically been greater targets of discrimination than others. Uh, so, if uh, uh, I'm having a conversation as a white male uh, with a uh, uh, with an African American uh, female. Uh, that that individual is sort of twice over discriminated against, and and maybe even more than twice over discriminated against uh, because of uh, both the, the gender, both her gender and her race. Uh, the the sum total of uh, oppression in her life is is significantly greater uh, than. Uh, than she would have received had she only fit into one of those categories. So it, it's therefore my obligation uh, as a white male to, to let her have her full say and, and really direct the, the flow of the conversation uh, rather than saying, look, this is, this is what you need and this is what needs to happen. Uh, I need to you know realize that I'm speaking from a position of historical authority uh, and that that historical authority has been badly abused. Uh, I need to kind of step back from that uh, and, uh, and empower the other side. Uh, and again, this is this is this is out of my wheelhouse, so hopefully I've I've gotten that right. Um, no, uh, will... that sounded
1: really good to me. Yeah. And I think that really does bring us to kinda a clashing point with yeah. the Christian worldview. But before we even get into that, I guess it would be important from your perspective, talking about constitutional law and readings of the constitution. Uh, Adam, you want to go ahead and ask
0: that next question? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, like you said, I mean, we were just talking about feminism and all that stuff. Those are all like those have like foundational presuppositions from what you come out of. You know, you have an assumption um, that you have to start with, um, a worldview, whatever, whatever word you want to use. I think uh, another word or term, a framework, a lens, whatever. um, We prefer the world word worldview it seems a little bit more um easily interpreted <laughs> from uh, sure. a, ma- a more mass audience uh, to use that word but uh, would you consider these tier these theories like those lenses those frameworks those worldviews to where you have to jump out you have to start somewhere you have to to, to go and progress right um would would these theories be worldviews
2: so i'm i'm gonna be hesitant to say that because often often they want to say that they're not yeah uh and, and again your your previous guest I thought did a good point of, of kind of highlighting this uh, what what they're going to say is that these are tools yeah uh, and this is what uh, I think this is what resolution 9 is is pretty clear on, right? These are, these are analytical tools. Uh, so, so, uh, kind of infamously, uh, uh one of the, uh, the, the, pioneers of critical legal studies, uh, someone asking me, you know, look, if you're a judge, uh, and, and, you know, you as a, a scholar are always saying, uh, criticize, 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 uh, you know, critique is all there is that sort of thing. Uh, if you're a judge and you have a real world case in front of you, uh, and you know, one side is saying I win and the other side is saying, no, I win. How do you decide as a as a, as a critical legal scholar, like what what do you do when really all you're doing is describing the tool? You still have to make a decision. Uh, And his answer was, well, well, I'm a socialist, so I'm going to make whatever decision most advances the cause of socialism. Uh, And uh, this, this is just a tool to help me do that. If, if I thought there were a better tool out there, I would, I would use that other tool. If I thought, you know, I could accomplish this more through living constitutionalism or originalism or whatever, I would, I would do that instead. Uh, So, I think there's probably a worldview. Again, assuming that we're we're giving them that argument and saying, "Yeah, all right, I'll I'll go along with that," then there then there is a worldview underlying that, uh, which uh, which is pursuing whatever goal it's pursuing using this as a means to get there.
1: So, in other words, what's going to be articulated by an individual to firms, critical theory, intersectionality, critical theory in general. Their assumption is that this is a tool to get them to their worldview. It is a mechanism by which you arrive at your presuppositions, in other words. Does that make sense?
2: yeah. So I, I want to achieve racial parity, right? I, I want to achieve equality for women. I want to achieve whatever it is the postmoderns are working for. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, again, you, you kind of have to go thinker by thinker for this. Uh, but, but yes, uh, now it's, it's also the case uh, that these sorts of people who uh, use critical uh, critical theories uh, do tend to cluster together on sort of the same side of the spectrum, mm-hmm. uh, but not universally. Right there, there there are exceptions. Uh, so I think some of the uh, uh, some of the most interesting of the again constitutional theorists are the uh, uh, the ones who are functionally traditionalist conservatives. Uh, kind of small r republicans calling for you know the return of city states and local government and that sort of thing agrarians who are saying we should all get back to the the farms and uh that the uh, the the way to do that is by critiquing big government out of existence Hmm. uh so it's 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 not monolithic necessarily now i i again i can't speak to uh uh, what's going on in the world of biblical studies maybe it is more monolithic there uh but there's there's certainly a widespread tendency to, to lean in one direction
1: So that brings me kind of to this, uh, and I think you've really articulated that exceptionally well. So when we think about um, Resolution 9 particularly, so we're kind of funneling this down a little bit to use a nice researcher term here. (laughs) uh, As we begin to kind of uh, funnel this to a, a more narrow perspective, merely as a rhetorical act. How would you understand or I should say probably more to engage your uh, your discipline merely as a act of interpreting resolution nine as one who would look at kind of through the lens of constitutional law and the way that constitutional law understands critical race theory, how would you kind of unpack a little bit? And I don't, we could probably spend the entire uh, podcast, like three hours, unpacking Resolution 9 with you, but like as a nice broad brush overview, even though I'm saying we're, we're still kind of funneling it down, uh, I kind of, there you go, that's a little bit of a contradiction there, but I hope you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, yeah, how would you understand Resolution 9 from kind of your perspective and your disciplines? uh understanding
2: yeah um let me uh, in the uh, in the best tradition of of the discipline of politics let me dodge that question
1: uh, <laughs> all right <laughs> no problem
2: <laughs> well and, and, and uh, so i uh, uh i'm i am not the person ultimately to talk to you about this okay uh, gotcha I was, uh, I was talking to, uh, an African American pastor from Missouri, uh, last week, actually about, about resolution nine. And I asked him, you know, what, what is, what does he think about it? And this, this gentleman is theologically reformed, uh, and politically kind of middle pro-life, but otherwise fairly middle of the road. Uh, and, uh, he basically said he doesn't like it because it's, it's going to make Southern Baptists feel like they've checked a box. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, the, the stuff that, African-Americans are are really concerned about is now not going to be dealt with uh, Mm. because in in our minds, we've we've done this thing and we we can now pat ourselves on the back and move on to other stuff.
1: Uh, So good. I love yeah, to hear know, that. I, That's not an uh, argument that I'm hearing a lot, by the way.
2: Yeah. And uh, well, I'd, I'd never heard it either. And I thought that that bared repeating, but it is not my argument. So I, I, I it sounds true, but I will, I will defer to the, the pastor whose name I do not have permission to share. So, I hey, I no share.
1: problem. I, I am grateful to get his insight. Mm-hmm. That's really, really good. Um, yeah. When, uh, when we air, if you guys want, I can tell you, he'd be a great
2: guest for your show. Phenomenal guest for your show. We
1: will um, certainly right. take that. That'll be a good thing. Uh, so,
2: so to to go more directly to your question, um, mm-hmm. just so I can I can not fully dodge it, uh, I think if if we take this, the the text of resolution nine, which you know uh, I, the listener can't see, I suppose the people on YouTube can see me that I'm pointing at it. Uh, if we take it in uh, in isolation, it is absolutely fine, right? Uh, there there is a. Uh, I was reading through this uh, this morning, uh, just kind of rereading it. And I don't remember anything in this that would make me hesitate to sign my name to it. Uh, particularly given how clear it is on no, no, no scripture always wins. And if we, if we find truths in it, they're common grace truths and we should acknowledge those. Uh, but scripture still always wins. Uh, and anything that critical race theory does that undermines any part of the gospel should be rejected. Uh, I mean, the, the the resolution is is very clear on that. Now, so in, yeah in, in that sense I would I would actually disagree with uh, with some of the writings uh, that the Tom Askell has been coming out with uh, and I, I say that with full respect uh, for for uh, Tom Askell and for the work he and founders ministries have done uh, that that is uh, that is in no way intended to be a uh, uh, a slight on them i just and i, I, I think,
1: think that that is so well articulated and I, and i do appreciate that so much adam and i uh off of the air we've talked about kind of well where are we uh with some of the folks who are wanting to renounce or uh withdraw resolution 9 like uh you know we're trying to study to the best we can. Like mm-hmm. I'm a founders friendly guy. I've gone to founders national conference. Um, if I could, I would go to the founders regional conference. That might be like this week. It's probably tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. But it's, and it's yeah. supposed to be a
2: big one too, right? It's the 25th anniversary.
1: Oh really? There you go. I, I, think oh, so. I, saw I believe you're months. right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, uh, so yeah, continue. I apologize for interrupting there.
2: No, no, no. I, I, I yeah, I, 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 like I said, I'm, I'm. Uh, it is, it is not to, not to disparage him at all. Um, uh, when, uh, when we sort of zoom back from just the text of this by itself. Uh, so I was not at the convention. I did not watch the debates. Um, I did uh, read some of the, the follow up on it, uh, and I, I agree that the the method uh, by which it was passed which is maybe too inside baseball for the for the podcast mm-hmm. uh, but there were there were some questions I, I would i would have had now the other side of that is had i written a resolution and proposed it and if i had the power to stop people from tinkering with it uh, especially if it was on one as touchy an issue as race mm-hmm. um would i exercise that power well yeah probably right uh, uh especially if i thought i had a document that as it was was both non-offensive and true and not really committing anyone to anything uh but uh yeah so i, I would have some follow up questions based on based on sort of the the context uh, and then if you you zoom out even farther uh and look at some of what has been going on in the southern baptist world uh uh both in the recent past and in the the apparently coming future of uh, you know the uh well, I don't, I don't know how much we want to get into some of the controversy over the coming pastors conference, uh, which you
1: go right I ahead. Mean, I, mean, yeah. 100%. As, well, I, I mean, we're 100 percent. That's as we're SBC I'm, I'm, and most of our listeners are probably SBC. Yeah. So I don't think you'll get yeah, me in any trouble. I mean, I do work at Spurgeon College, but I don't think you're going to get me in any trouble, because if I understand correctly uh, and I don't want to you know, misrepresent anyone, but to my understanding, Um, There are faculty at Midwestern that have publicly and openly um, denounced critical race theory. Mm. And so um, I uh, that's great. Um, So I don't think you're going to put any of us in any trouble by talking about some of these other issues. And I think they're actually incredibly important because I like how you said in a vacuum, it looks good, but it's not in a vacuum. Yeah. Well, and
2: I'm, I'm not sure it necessarily looks bad, not in a vacuum, but we got to remember that it's not in a vacuum. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. uh, uh, I don't, uh, or, or to look at, uh, uh and I'm, I'm being vague about these things, uh, because I, I didn't write down a bunch of notes on them and I should have, so I'm sorry. I'm not as prepared here as I should oh, be. Brother,
1: oh, brother, no. don't worry about it. You're very well prepared. <laughs> yeah. We really appreciate it.
2: Uh, Well, I'm I'm thinking specifically about the uh, the MLK 50 conference. Was Mm -hmm. it was it the Gospel Coalition that put that on a couple of years ago? I think if
1: that was, I know that the ERLC was part of it. Yeah,
2: right. Uh, So, so really, a lot of this discussion started there. Gotcha. Uh, And uh, what we saw was within the wider evangelical world a a sort of generational divide uh, and a a generational divide over this question of race, uh, where uh, the the older generation i don't want to say old but the the kind of older generation uh had had uh used as their and and you guys as uh, as trained uh, trained rhetoricians will have better terms for this than i do uh used as their uh, uh oh tools of discourse or, or defining terms or whatever uh kind of the uh the approach of martin luther king jr right gotcha. uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to set aside race uh, and we're just going to focus on character Gotcha. So yeah, people of uh, of my parents' generation, and then to a, a slightly lesser extent, my generation uh, have tended to say, "Look this this is what really matters. We're we're just going to set race aside, right? Uh, we're yeah. we're we're not going to pay attention to it at all. We're going to focus only on character. And are you uh, are you a decent person? Are you hardworking? Are you honest? All of that sort of thing. And and then uh, of course within the within the you know Christian world, do you know uh, have you? Rep- Repented and believed, right? You confess yeah. that you're a sinner. Uh, have you embraced the gospel uh, without regard to your race, right? Uh, every every person of every race is a sinner. So let's just focus on that. Uh, and then the, the younger generation, kind of uh, uh, our generation and, and younger, so we're, we're kind of at the hinge point here, uh, are, are coming back with, yeah, race actually matters more than that. Uh, you, you can't abstract a person, you can't abstract a character uh, from their skin and treat them as if somehow uh, they, are, they are not a part of whatever their race is. Now, the, the older generation hears that and thinks, well, that's, that's racist language and it makes me very uncomfortable uh, the younger generation hears that and thinks, "Yeah, but people actually are treated a certain way based on their skin color, uh, and that that is the nature of reality, and that needs to be accounted for." Mm-hmm. Uh, so, with 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 all of that kind of swirling in the atmosphere, right? This this discussion over race that's been going on for, you know, however long it's been since that conference, uh, this uh, this document is perhaps not the kind of banal thing it would appear to be on the surface. Uh, it is more. More on one of those sides than the other. Again, I think without necessarily solidly committing, uh, committing fully to one uh, to any one position.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Anyway, I'm I'm rambling again. I'll, oh, I'll turn no, to no. Cody.
0: No, you're you're getting right in there. So um, I, that's something I think I I watched actually to to prepare for the show today was I was gonna listen to Crenshaw on the whole uh, color blindness and all that kind of stuff that you know and so that is suppression of the truth and you know but I think uh, you know I guess while Dave is talking because like you know he's studied a lot more on this one anyway and I'm still like you know in infantile mode um, but yeah we need to connect everything I think where I'm at still on this issue is um how am i to view somebody as a new creation um being colorblind when it comes to that um but then again they do come from an ethnicity you know so i guess you know there's like you know, we need to get to definitions here so what is race i guess when it comes to sure. the critical race theorist Versus, you know, my definition is like, okay, they're gonna come from a nationality, they're gonna come you know, they're gonna come with baggage that they grew up with, you know, how did they celebrate things? How do you know, that's the kind of questions I'm asking? Like, I don't care about skin color, so it's not necessarily colorblind, because I go, Well, this is their home, this is where they came from, you know, if they're from across the pond, wherever, you know, they're gonna come with that sort of this is who they are, who this is where they came out of. So I don't really view it. I guess i sometimes i feel like i'm in this like weird hole because I, I don't feel like i fit in a certain spot so you know how am i supposed to view people i view them with the gospel yeah and what they you know what they are either they're a covenant <laughs> a keeper or a covenant breaker um yes right. i can include their ethnicity and go you know that's cool that you celebrate that you know whatever you know and, and get to know a person um by by where they came from um, but that's almost to where it's like it, that's from home to home because we're in a hyper in hyper individualistic society anyway. So I'm all messed up.
1: So when we think about definitions, I'm going to kind of jump down. Um, Dr. Neil, I know that you have in front of you kind of that list that we've been working from. And I want to kind of jump down the list because I think there's some questions that are probably a little bit they're left untouched by a lot of people when it comes to critical race theory. Like I'm, I'm very thankful for the work that Dr. Askell and, um, Jared Long and Dr. Longshore are doing right. I think that that's really good stuff. Um, I enjoyed the documentary by what standard, right? Mm-hmm. Like I thought yeah. that was good stuff and I thought they did a good job with their tone in it. I'm not a big fan of repealing resolution nine. That's where I am right now. And because uh, and I should say that some of this came to light to me more particularly at the Missouri Baptist Convention. Uh, I wrote a resolution uh, regarding critical race theory, and it was rejected. And when yes, I talked you, you had a
2: resolution there, right? What's that? You had a resolution there. I remember seeing that in the uh, in the, the guide.
1: It, they did not accept my resol- hmm. Any of my resolutions, all of them were dropped. They would not vote on any of mine. Um, I I wrote one about women in ministry, I wrote one about inerrancy, and I wrote one about uh, about critical race theory. And so my name was mentioned, uh, just that I had submitted them, but they hadn't passed, Mm -hmm. right? And so in my discussions with members of the resolution committee, one of their big pieces was— Look, there, we didn't have a problem with your resolution on critical race theory. Our problem was that nobody knows what it is. Yeah. So why open up that can of worms at the Missouri Baptist Convention, right? right. And the, here's the thing that got me. If it is so difficult for people to understand that a state convention can't even write a resolution— I mean, literally, the statement was from two different members of that committee— we cuz they're kind of guarded in what they're allowed to say yeah, right sure. but their statements were nobody and i'm putting i'm i'm nuancing it very simply nobody in missouri cares about critical race theory and no one understands it mm-hmm. so why put forward a resolution and create a problem and so with that said, I want to jump down and, and kind of talk about some of these definitions, yeah. because at least from a rhetorical lens, when we talk about the oppressed and the oppressor or the hegemony, like those terms are, are, are flippantly used. Right. Yeah. But what do they mean? Like from your perspective as a constitutional historian, uh, when you, you hear oppressed and oppressor from a critical theory perspective, like what do those terms mean?
2: Yeah. And, and here you're going to, you're going to, you're going to kind of have to go person by person, right? I, I, there, there may be uh, a, a unilateral definition and I just, I don't know enough about it to be able to answer what it is. Yeah. Um, but I, I, my, my sense, and this is just kind of my impression Uh, having, having read some of this. So uh, if, if this is wrong, or if you have listeners who know more about this than I do, which is entirely possible, uh, I am happy to be corrected on this. Um, But my, my sense is sort of a, a traditional definition of oppressor, right? Uh, So uh, whether, whether we're taking, uh, you know, some of the passages in the Bible that talk about oppression or uh, kind of traditional views of oppression uh, from, from philosophy or from political politics or, or history, uh, the the traditional would view, the traditional view would be that uh, oppression is the abuse of power, mm. right? It's it's uh, it's using power uh, to uh, uh, harm others, specifically people who are otherwise uh, not able able to defend themselves. Uh, the the modern definition that uh, again, I don't want to say this is every. Uh, critical uh, theorist of, of every stripe, but it it does seem to be a fairly common theme, uh, is that the uh, the existence of power itself, uh, the existence of authority structures, is inherently abusive. Uh, now, again, I I, uh, I wouldn't want to push that too far. I can I can think of exceptions even just off the top of my head. So I, I know that's not a universal thing, but that that would seem to be at least something of a of a stream in it that. By virtue of one person having more authority than another person, uh, under any circumstances, even properly used authority, uh, that is, that is, if not actual oppression, at least potential oppression.
1: And yeah. oppression and its relevance to critical theory, critical race theory, is exceptionally important. Like you can't even begin to unpack what critical. Theory or critical race theory is without some type of a definition of what the oppressed and the oppressor is.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, and I mean, this is something that I, um, it's, it's been said a few times by different people, but it definitely uh, Dr. Dudash said, you know, you have to adopt this whole thing. And so this is what, you know, Tom Askell and Longshore are saying you know you 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 adopt critical race theory you adopt the whole shebang and this is where it is the conversation is going to this is cultural marxism because this is born out of it so you know what do you what would you say about something like that um piecemealing out this thing can it be piecemealed or can it not
2: i i mean that's that's where again i would i would agree with uh, with with, or disagree with uh, with askel yeah you You can say true things, even if you're a cultural Marxist Uh, and you can, you can say true things that I, as a, you know, theologically conservative Christian would not necessarily have thought of on my own. Um, and I, honestly, I think denying that is kind of silly. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I don't really see grounds for saying pagans can never say true things, uh, I, I think it may be that they don't they don't know their true things or they're coming up with them through you know common grace means I'm I'm reading through Abraham Kuyper's uh, common grace right now and yeah. uh, uh, a lot of what he's saying I'm I'm just kind of like this is common sense like who who would who would ever disagree with this uh, but uh, I, I also get the concern that if if we open the door what all is it going to let in. And yeah. I I understand that concern too. And I, I think that is something to be aware of. I, and maybe this is where the, the advantage of nobody knowing what this is yeah. uh, or where the fact that nobody knows what this is, is actually an advantage uh, because if no one's out there reading critical race theory, it's not like you're going to get all, all of the bad stuff coming in. Um, bad yeah. stuff. What a terrible way to say it. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, I, I think, I think you can learn from the other side. Uh, And I I think it's probably important that there be people who are orthodox learning this stuff because otherwise it's still going to show up. You know, the the rank and file of the church is still going to be exposed to it at some point uh, without any point of, you know, theologically orthodox contact. Uh, And, you know, you, you don't necessarily want that side of their worldview being shaped only by people we disagree with.
1: Yeah. So we do have if it's all right, uh I don't wanna like sidetrack us, but we True. do have a really good uh audience question. We don't always take audience questions, but like uh one of our watch parties uh guy proposed a question. It's it's it is um it's a little bit jargony, uh, and I don't say that to be mean. Um, just uh, Just truthful. I'm going to read the question to you and I'm going to post it to our Google document so you can see it. Um, And here's what Ted Frazier says. uh, A question to you. If critical race theory is a tool to one end, can it be used as a tool to the reverse end? In other words, like, can it be used against people? I kind of the way I see him nuancing that question.
2: Uh, I mean, I, I, I think the answer there is also pretty obviously yes. Right. Uh, uh, does it, uh, uh, does it become a way instead of, uh, instead of merely empowering people, does it become a way to shut other people up? Yes. Uh, Uh, and, and, Yes, uh, we, you know we, we see that we see that all the time. Now it's it's not necessarily always critical race theory doing that. Uh, there, there are uh, there are other movements and other schools that are just as accomplished at, at that and, and certainly they have more cultural and, and political power. but yeah, of course, uh, uh, any tool can be badly used.
0: Okay. And I mean that's kind of like the, the big thing that we were talking about uh, with Dr. Doodash. you know it's like hermeneutics in and of themselves becoming power structures. And so this right. is kind of where I see this self-refuting, especially when it comes to, um, say, when it gets political and we're util- utilizing these things so that people aren't marginalized. Um, but, you know, does does this, does this uh, thing itself become its own downfall? Um, because it does redistribute things. It does, you know, we're talking about the oppressed and the oppressor. Um, and I think one of the questions on there, you know, is it possible that the oppressor is the oppressed in some other way? And then, after these tools are used, say we, they, people are using them, we're, we're working that way, and then everything flips and gets redistributed, you know, you've still marginalized people, haven't you? Well,
2: and, and on, on the, uh, on the legal side of things, uh, uh, and, and hopefully, we've answered the uh, yeah. the listener question. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I yeah.
1: kind of read. I kind of restated it. Just kind of tried to get the spirit of the question there, rather I'm sorry than for every uh, single for getting in there. But yeah, but yeah uh, that was really, really good. So here's one of the things that I would um, question. Then, when it comes to the lens of critical race theory being separated uh, or not being seen as a worldview from a christian position then what does it actually look like to incorporate as southern baptist elements of critical race theory as a tool for understanding culture
2: yeah and i, I think uh this is this is where i think we we need to be doing kind of more homework uh, i don't i don't have a satisfying answer so i'm i'm sorry about that uh but i i think uh uh this does merit a lot more thought than it has been given, uh, so mm. far. Uh, so, so on, on the, on the legal side of things, right. Uh, I think, uh, one of the, uh, one of the effects of critical race theory, uh, is, is ultimately an undermining of the law.
1: Gotcha. Right? If,
2: if the law is, is nothing more than power imposed by culture. And it's just all about, you know, getting your hands on that power, uh, and, and controlling which way the, the, the which way the law is moving, uh, that, uh, that, that's really problematic, right? Uh, yeah. now all of a sudden, uh, all of the law is just about who has the, the biggest club in their hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in, in the same way, uh, if these theories, uh, ultimately undermine our confidence in in the historic truths of scripture uh, if they attempt to replace them with confidence in ourselves as sort of living at the pinnacle of history. You know, all those people in the past were racists and and chauvinists and, uh, you know, bigots and and everything else uh, uh, will... Uh, uh, they, so we have to throw everything that's ever been said into question, uh, well, then we, we run the risk into, of falling into that C.S. Lewis uh, chronological snobbery, right? Uh, yeah. uh, with that said, I, I don't think the solution is to say, well, you're wrong about everything you say either. Uh, I don't think it's to deny the sins. I don't think we should deny the sins of the past. Uh, I don't think we should reject contemporary ideas just because they're, they're held by people we disagree with. Uh, instead, I think we, we sort of honestly, carefully consider the charges that they're bringing. Right. Uh, uh, when, when they come and say, hey, you're a racist, uh, I think rather than the gut reaction of no, we're not, or the gut reaction of yes, we are, that some people are inclined to, uh, I think we should stop and sort of genuinely reflect, you know, are there ways in which uh, I am sinning against uh, my minority brothers in Christ or, and, or, or uh, non-brothers in Christ uh, by assumptions I'm making that I'm not even consciously thinking about in the I think that is a, a good and fair thing to do. Uh, and we may at the end of the day decide that, Hey, this, this, this charge is wrong, but we should, we should at least take the time to think about it first. Uh, uh, when we're accused of sin, that, uh, that self-examination, uh, should be something I think that I think it should be something that every Christian should, should be in the habit of regularly doing. Uh, and we, we shouldn't avoid it, especially when such a serious charge as racism is, is brought up. Uh, we find that we're committing the sin of of course we ought to we ought to repent and and uh, uh make appropriate changes uh Now the other side of that's true. If, if, uh, if the charge of systematic racism is made, uh, and, uh, we, we start looking into this and, and what we find is that, uh, by systematic racism, what they really mean is, uh, we don't like your definition of original sin or justification Mm -hmm. uh, by faith alone or, uh, the, the Trinity or the incarnation. And these are all, uh, Western imperialist impositions on, uh, on the church. Uh, at that point we, we, we can say, Hey, uh, uh, you know, thank you for the conversation. This is what the gospel is, and, and we can kind of be on our way. Uh, but again, I, I, I don't think there's a, uh, I don't think that an instant reaction without actually stopping to think that through is merit. if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, no, I believe that you hit it spot on. So here we are. We're Southern Baptists. We have now affirmed Resolution 9. My biggest concern, and now i'm I'm not really uh, I'm working off the script here. And so, if you're like, "Hey, I don't want to comment because we've got just a few more minutes here because we don't ever wanted to be disrespectful of your time by any means, and we're at about fifty minutes here. So here I am, I'm a Southern Baptist pastor. We've approved resolution nine. Most folks at First Baptist Buffalo could care less about what's going on at the national level, right? right. I mean, that's the reality. Mm-hmm. Yes, I believe that racism within Southern Baptist life is unique. Here's the argument that I don't see being made. We do have roots as a convention, as a denomination. We were started out of racism. Like that is, if you know anything about SBC life, you know that's the case. Bet you of the hundred people that were at my church on Sunday morning, about three of them knew that, right? That's the reality. And I think I've got some folks that are pretty sharp folks, and and I mean that. I hope that doesn't sound like me negating anyone at my church. Um, They don't know that in 1845 we started because—I mean, I was in a room with a group of pastors last week. Uh, Eight pastors, right? I think there were two of us that knew that the SBC was started because of slavery, right? Mm -hmm. We've affirmed Resolution 9. We have people who don't know anything about it. We're not going to vote for it at the state convention. What does it really mean? I mean, you're a, uh, you're a churchman by all means and a professor. Like, what does this mean for Southern Baptists from here in your position?
2: Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's prognostication. And if, uh, the 2016 election taught me anything. It's I'm not very good at it. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to pass on that question. Uh,
1: you and uh, Albert Mueller, because he didn't think that uh, that Trump would win either. So <laughs> no one, no one thought Trump
2: was going to win. Um, I had one student. Uh, I had one student in my presidency class who was over and over and over. Trump is going to win. Trump is going to win. Trump is going to win. And I I had to eat crow the morning after the
0: election. So that's well, because oh, you uh, didn't uh, pay attention to the Simpsons, man.
2: <laughs> Yeah, I uh 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 yeah, I I don't know. It it depends. Uh there's there's so much that's up in the air right now in the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh and I am I am not necessarily a close follower of the internal politics of the, the Southern Baptist Convention. So, so uh so much of that depends on things that I don't know anything about. I'm I'm not new to the Southern Baptist world, but I'm new to paying attention to it.
1: So So in the Probably uh, last few minutes here, I will share. So I had a paper accepted to the International Society of Christian Apologetics. Does Resolution 9 of the Southern Baptist Convention undermine the doctrine of inerrancy? My answer is no. Fundamentally no, right? At this particular point. Why would I say that? Because the framers of the resolution all are affirmers of 1978 Chicago statement inerrancy. Right. But my belief is that to use the tools as a mechanism for understanding culture puts scripture in subordination to mm. the tool. Does that make sense? And is that is that a, an effective way of understanding?
2: So, I, I mean, I, 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 yes, I, I agree with what you're saying. The, the question would be is that what Resolution Nine is doing? Yeah. And I, I think Resolution Nine tries to go out of its way not to do that. Okay. Uh, so I guess the question is do you think it succeeded at, uh, yeah. at, at being yeah. sufficiently clear that, hey, scripture always wins?
1: And I don't think for the average person, they see that, right? My contention is the average church grower, goer here's critical theory and they think socialism. Communism, postmodernism, not the Southern Baptist Convention really wants to do everything it can to not be racist.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And that's the that's to me why it's fundamentally insufficient. Because it doesn't articulate to the average person in the pew, here's what we want to say. And to me, that is what a resolution should do. Mm-hmm. And so what, therefore, what what's that sorry? What would you add to clarify that then? I'd take out critical race theory. I'd take out the word critical Mm -hmm. race theory. I would take out the word critical race theory, and I'm not sure what I would add, but -hmm. I would essentially state, we realize that, and we've had, we have, like, I've read every single one of the 37 resolutions um, that the Southern Baptist Convention has written in regard to race. The language and the nuance by which this resolution is put forward is foreign when we're affirming something and i'm not an sbc historian but that's what i see at least from the resolutions that we've written previous to this and that's from removing the stains of racism written by a, a group of of people um curtis woods is part of that uh, dr moeller dr hall um uh Walter Strickland, all of them have chapters in it. Dwight McKissick, all of them have chapters in Removing the Stains. And if you haven't read that, it's a great book. Uh, it's not a quick read, but probably for you it is. <laughs> no, not necessarily. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's really where I, I think what, what, what grabbed me was, what is the mindset of, and I don't think the question is being asked, like, Dr. Woods is a good guy. Like, he loves the Lord. He loves scripture. He's a great scholar. He's an incredible teacher. Dr. Strickland is an incredible teacher. He loves the Lord. He loves the church. Right? He is concerned in my mind. All of these men are concerned about racism being a being an unarticulated problem that hangs over the head of the Southern Baptist Convention. Does that make sense?
2: Right and And understandably that they would have that concern, right, given not just not just the origins of the convention, but our complicity in the Jim Crow South Bingo. Um, and and honestly, the the ongoing uh, occasional, you know incidents that are that are uh, uh, perhaps not always handled as well as they could be. so and
1: see what I think when I read um, James Cones uh, said I wasn't going to tell nobody right, his, his last work, which is basically his uh, auto, autobiography, and then Black Theology and Black Power, I see what happens when the Orthodox Church does not act Orthodox in regard to race, right? You get James Cone. You get critical theory. That's a response or you get Black Liberation Theology. That's a response to a gospel that is not inclusive of race, but uh, does oppress race. Like, do you think that I'm jumping to some false conclusions here? But, you know, as I've read, I mean, I could give you all the books that I've read to try to prepare for my paper, but like, that's kind of where I'm falling on this.
2: I mean yeah you you know the material there better better than I do right so uh uh I I uh I guess I can see so reading resolution 9 I, I guess I can see how you would get something like that out of it but I I feel like that would be twisting the resolution though
1: yeah and, and I understand and and again I guess my biggest issue is the average person just will never understand resolution 9 mm-hmm. like I'm sitting with one of the most and and I mean this very sincerely Adam is one of the sharpest guys that I know, right? Like he is exceptionally well read, uh, very good at conversing. Uh, I would put Adam's ability to read theology and understand theology well above a lot of folks who are just, you know, who are who are in the pews. Really good-hearted Christian folks who are in the pews. Like Adam is obviously a, a, a teacher, right? Uh, God has him on a path to to be a lay elder, I believe, but. He deals with critical race theory, and, and and he deals with it, and he sits here and says, like, well, I still have trouble with like understanding what's being said. Uh, yeah. You know, and I mean,
0: like uh, from from my perspective, a lot of it is just like so stinking absurd. And I, I mean, I, and it could be just because you know I'm so wrapped up in um, theology and presuppositionalism, I don't see like I can see how academia tries to work this stuff out. And I think it's like an overshoot because, like, we're not theonomists, so <laughs> you know. I think all you need is theonomy, <laughs> and and then you know, if you just do justice the way the way God has uh, already just revealed it, I think it's you know, even though you, you can get uh, more complex in that argument, you know, the simplicity though of of the law, I think it's I think it's already there. It's something that's tried and true in time. Um, that I think the academia is just trying to come up with its own version where you end up with, you know, if, if God's not the authority, then the state is the authority. If you're going to have a society. Um, so like, I I think I'm like off in another territory where I just like all this stuff. I'm just seeing a bunch of people flapping their gums. There's no objective definitions on anything. And it just seems like a bunch of pockets of people fighting each other and there's going to be absolutely no unity. We bring these ideas into where we already have the awesome revealed truth of scripture and we can deal And like, we need to, we need to be focused on that where now this is a part of the conversation and people are running scared. And, you know, like instead of like the convention doing stuff like that, we should just have our pastors leading people in the gospel and, and you know, the law and the gospel um, together, and then like you know, this would just be like, oh, we don't, and it's not necessarily we don't want that thing because it's academic, you know. It's like, what what does the world have to offer? So why are we even like bringing this stuff in? I mean, we can look at it, okay, and we can, and we need to understand the world um, and how they're trying to classify themselves because they're going to classify themselves into destruction, and we need to go in there and try to go you know, like, no, the gospel says, <laughs> but you know, so I, I I feel like I'm like in a a weird, again, like a weird corner um, that, you know, I can't really be pegged in in the conversation, the way that it's going from the way that I hear um, both sides talking, so.
2: Yeah, no, I, this, this may already exist. And if it doesn't, uh, I am certainly not the person to write it. But uh, if, if there isn't a good analysis of all of this from a kind of robustly Augustinian perspective, uh, there, there should be. Uh, because, I mean, what, what book talks more about the state and the culture is inherently oppressive than the city of God. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what, a, what, a, what a great place to uh, to yeah. you know, launch into the conversation. Uh, yeah. I mean, the the city of man, all it's trying to do is oppress. Yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, uh, that's that's going to cut kind of through and across racial lines. Uh, I'm kind of thinking as as we've been having this conversation, you know, what would Augustine say about all of this? Uh, would would he just Kind of in in one sense side with uh, the critical racial guys and be like yeah of course people are trying to oppress you that's that's what government does and that's what the city of man does or would he be yeah. on the other side and say yeah you know that's that's uh, that that's uh, you're you're misapplying something about the city of something true about the city of man and trying to apply it to the city of God and I don't yeah. know. I'm, Someone someone needs to write that. I'll I'll leave that to you guys right here. So yeah, we're
1: gonna have
0: to like call somebody
1: out on that. Yeah, that's pretty darn good, brother. Uh, Well, Coyle, uh, I do pray for you as I pray for all the professors and faculty at Southwest Baptist University. Try to pray for you all each day if I can, and just appreciate you as a brother, and uh, really thankful for your faithfulness to uh, to analyze the world and teach through a Christian worldview. Uh, We love those who submit to a Christian worldview and the way they teach. And uh, as a, you know, I've just been teaching in a private institution now for two months, and I uh, still am learning how to teach rhetoric and persuasion from a Christian worldview. And I appreciate that you teach government from a Christian worldview to students who need to hear that. So thank you so much Mm -hmm. for joining us, brother. We so appreciate your time. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you, sir.
1: Thank
2: you guys for having me on. This was a blast. Uh, oh, yeah. Any Anytime, I'm, I'm happy to do this. We'll call you again sometime. We really will. For sure. Yeah. Thank for you, brother. Sure.
1: You take care.
0: Well, let me uh, get this hung up because, you know, it's a bunch of awesome tech. All but right, anyway, man. again, uh, thank you, Coyle, for uh, being on the uh, podcast today. Thank you for um, being very clear and articulate.
1: And, man, that uh, was good. Know. And I, to me, yeah. I'm going to go back and listen to this again, uh-huh. right? Like, that was a lot to unpack. Yeah. Um, very useful stuff. I mean, very helpful stuff. Yeah, yeah. so,
0: you know, we hope that uh, for you guys, you know, you can listen to uh, Elizabeth uh, um her take. Yeah. You can listen to this. Um, hopefully, we'll get some more. And then yeah, um, I mean, there, this, this would just be a treasure trove again. We're we're trying to hit those foundational things because we have foundational beliefs. This is a uh, this is a presuppositional prod- podcast. We here recognize that everybody has a set of presuppositions that are unscientifically founded. You you know, there's a reason for it, but we operate out of something we can't prove. Um, we can we can we can make sense of it in God's world and where he is revealed he has condescended and spoken to people right and and he's spoken to his creation and uh, we can know things like the, their universe is knowable all those kind of things so uh, we understand that so we want to stay in this uh, foundational uh, world uh, to get I think that's what will answer these questions uh, for you know the the Pew Center, whatever. Yeah, and hopefully. And I hope that know, never. Yeah. I never no.
1: want to sound condescending. No, 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 to say no. Because like I should. I there's should a, have lot a lot more. Better. Yeah,
0: there's a lot more Indians than chiefs. Luckily, right? So you know, but you know, we just need to make sure that the Indians are getting. Shepherded you know the, the the people in the pews are getting shepherded to where um, they they come up a step You know and that, that's the way that we should always be we shall be always being maturing into the image of the one We're being conformed to right and so that's just part of maturity and stuff, but everybody starts somewhere It's just not a condescending thing, but there is um, There is it's not necessarily a, a platonic elite versus the world type of thing.
1: Yeah, amen. but there is
0: I mean God gives people gifts um, all the gifts are different. They all um, are equally important in his kingdom. So just because you're sitting in a pew on a Sunday and you're not up on stage preaching. No, you're nothing. In, you're not in, in That's That's the gospel. We don't have to play the victim card. Yeah. We don't have to have intersectionality. Well, you know, I'm more oppressed because I'm a pew sitter. No, no. You in the sight of God, you are where you need to be because he has given the gift to that person on the stage to preach to you to speak into your life so that you are equipped for your ministry that God, again, from beforehand has given you good works to walk in.
1: That's right.
0: And so are you going to walk in those good works? Are you just Mm going to sit in the pew? Now, I hope the pew sitter thing does convict the person that is a pew sitter. So I hope it's condescending. So if you're just sitting in a pew doing nothing, I hope you feel convicted. I hope that word hurts you. To where you go? Am I a pew sitter? Why am I getting mad about it? Oh, because I am just a pew sitter. So, I mean, there's a few different senses of that term, but you know, we are we. That's that's the thing about I think this critical race theory is where we we end up going too deep into it, and we we do too many categorizations without putting it back together. Yeah, I think. And the only way that you can put it back together is the gospel. Yeah, Amen. So,
1: but Um, anyway, yeah. So appreciate you. Uh, Those of you who watch, who listen, who share, who like always want to encourage you. Uh, If you liked what you heard, if it was beneficial to you, if you were edified by it, be sure to share this live cast. Uh, We encourage you to subscribe on YouTube. If you are one who listens to the podcast, be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really love that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, hey, any notes of encouragement, any ideas for shows, um, we are always, always wanting those. And so just thank you so much for listening, for watching for participating uh it was great to get a brother that i didn't even know uh ask a question today and i yeah. want to thank you for that uh those of you who have tuned in to the live cast uh we do more than just a live cast this is the podcast we also have a website with a few blog posts uh we also oh
0: yes we got a new just because you said that we'll add it to this show as well if you are in missouri you are a follower of jesus christ and recognize that all life that is human is special because God formed it in the womb. Please, please go to tagyouradministries.org, go to the articles page. There is a link to find your representative. You can get your their email. You can get their phone number from that website. Below it, Josh Jenkins from Hope Baptist Church here in Springfield supplied something that you can copy and paste to send to your representative or utilize to formulate your own personal uh, email that you'd want to send them. Um, also use that for talking points if you call them on the phone. So, you know, do all that you can. Please do that and um, support HB, Missouri House Bill 2285 you know, get to your representatives so that they can co-sponsor that because it needs to go to the committee, it needs to continue to be read, it needs to not just be, well, you know, life, life. No, 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 God created life. The same God that created that life created your life. The same God that created your life is over you, especially as a politician to be a voice for the voiceless, as a representative, and as the ones who are the governor of the land, the people who make the laws, the people that pass these things. They are still underneath the authority of Jesus Christ to obey. That's right. And it's the reason why they are will be why they have the wrath of God on them is because they're not obedient. That's right. And so we need to call them to repentance and we need to treat them as image bearers. Yes, they're in rebellion, but we need to call for their repentance just like you were asked to repent and that there was a place for you. That's the gospel. So don't utilize this to separate, don't play the intersectionality victim game here. And treat people the way God has. Again, uh, th- this would be Second Corinthians five. We don't know Jesus from a heavenly perspective. We don't know each other from a heaven- or from an earthly perspective anymore. We know it because it's revealed. So, um, treat your representatives that way. Um, treat it and help support these. Uh, help support the voiceless um, in our districts. So, um, if you can, please, please, please do that. Share it. Um, tell your family to do it. Talk about it in your church. Wherever you go. Um, support that bill, so I'll get off my soapbox.
1: Brother, you hit <laughs> it right on. I, I mean, what else can I say? It's a pleasure to get to serve the Lord beside you in this ministry. um Thank you so much again, everyone who listens, who prays for us. Um, we have a big trip coming up to Chicago and a paper to from finish, mm. and uh, we're going to get an opportunity to oh, and a debate to moderate. Oh yes, so, uh, and we're yeah, going to so, talk about that. Yeah. So join us in about an hour for (laughs) all your life
0: life uh, yeah live people that want to watch it here in about 30 minutes um for the podcast people i'm not sure what order these are going to go up in um whenever i get them done i will uh, do my due diligence to do that so anyway um i guess we'll call that this awesome episode yeah and uh we will come back again and see you or at least uh you won't see us we won't see you but we will be with you in spirit so there you go. So with the Tag Era Podcast, I'm Ray Ray. And I'm Dave. And Soli. Deo. Gloria.